Got to watch, your, uh, watch the Miami Hurricanes dominate Notre Dame. Absolutely dominates, which was a joy uh, to watch as well. But it's just great to be here with you to celebrate this one-year anniversary. anniversary uh, and also just to hear from God's Word, to let the Lord speak to us uh, this morning and encourage our hearts uh, in the Word of God. And so I want to read our passage this morning, which is from Revelation chapter 7. Uh, verses 9 through 17. Listen to the word of the Lord. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. The angels stood around the throne Along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb, who is at the center of the throne, will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So reads the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'm probably one of the few uh, black folk who love the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. Uh, I watched all the Lord of the Rings films. I watched all the Hobbit films. I bought the book because I thought I was going to read it to my kids at bedtime. Don't play this tape for any of my black friends, by the way. But there's a scene in the Lord of the Rings film. The two towers were... Gandalf the White, this hero in the story, is sitting with Pippin, a hobbit, and the city they are in is under attack, and they are barred behind the doors. In a part of the city, there's an army on the other side beating down the doors to get to them. And Pippin turns to Gandalf and he says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf responds, surprised, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one we must all take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. And Pippin asks, what, Gandalf? See what? White shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. And then Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. <laughs> and Gandalf says, no. No, it isn't. As John writes back to these seven churches, he knows that he is writing to people who, like these fictional characters in The Lord of the Rings, are in the thick of the battle of life. The trial is real for them, and it's about to get realer. <laughs> so God gives a word to encourage John 
to encourage the seven churches, to encourage us this morning to steady us in the face of the struggle, in the face of the battle of life, in the face of the trial and tribulation of living in this world. He shows John a picture of another reality, one that is just as real as the struggle, just as real as the trial, just as real as the battle, the tribulation they are facing. But it is a reality that is not a struggle. It is a reality of victory. It's a picture of where we are headed as the people of God. It's a picture of the victory that God has won for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is as real as all of what we experience in this life, only it is a permanent reality to which all who have their faith in Jesus is, are headed. It's a reality that, in fact, is already breaking into the here and now. It's already making its way into this world. At the heart of this picture, brothers and sisters, is a people. A people from among every nation. A people from among all tribes. A people from among all languages. A people, one separated from each other because of hostility, because of systemic injustice, because of prejudice, because of hatred and the like. It is a people who are now standing together in unity, singing praises to God in unison. Just let that sit on your heart for a moment. God has already won the victory through the death of his son. The day when our skin color, our ethnic heritage, our class, our gender will no longer be a stumbling block of peace between us. What if a church believed that? What if the church believed that? How would that influence us in working on the divisions that exist among us now? I love that scene in the movie I just described because Gandalf tells Pippin about what is coming, and then they both look at each other, and they are prepared now to fight the battle that is in front of them because they know what's coming. They know what they're headed for. You see, if we believe the picture of Revelation 7 picture of the unity of the nations in the worship of the king, it impacts how I deal with those who are in front of me, how I deal with the tribulation and the battle and the struggle that is in front of me. I can't ignore you. I can't avoid you. I can't turn my head to what is troubling you if I believe that one day you and I will stand before the throne of God together. I can't abandon my poor white brothers and sisters. I can't abandon my poor black brothers and sisters. I can't abandon my poor Latino brothers and sisters. I can't abandon them if I know that one day I'm going to be standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God with them. The gospel of God's salvation that creates this blended family from among all the nations across every line of division calls me right in the midst of the struggle of this world to live, to work for, to pray for the fruitfulness of that family in this world. Revelation 7 isn't a dream John had. It's a reality that God showed John. You see, if you're in God's family through Jesus, you are here not because, first and foremost, you want to be here. You are here, first and foremost, because God's rescue, his salvation looks like this. It looks like God rescuing men, women, and children from the sin and death that is in this world and setting them in the church, setting them in this blended family to be his witnesses of where it is all headed. You were rescued into salvation. 
from sin and death. You were rescued from this world into this family of God. You are here because God's commitment is to bring together a people from among all the nations of the earth. And because he gave the life of his son for that very purpose, you can bank on it. It will take place. That's the victory of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. So what does this rescue look like for us in the here and now? Well, it looks like learning the worship of heaven together, and it looks like learning to live in God's new home together. I want to talk first about a new worship, a new worship. In 1 Chronicles 16, after David has rescued the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines and returns it to the city of God in Jerusalem, David instructs Asaph, one of his musicians, to, to put to music a song that David wrote in praise to God. And in the song, David sings this. He says, the Lord is great and deserves our greatest praise. He is the only God worthy of our worship. Other nations worship idols, but the Lord created the heavens. Give honor and praise to the Lord whose power and beauty fill his holy temple. Tell everyone of every nation, praise the glorious power of the Lord. One of the things God does in bringing us together from among all the nations as he frees us from the worship of idols. And I want to suggest to you that we don't truly know the hold that our idols have on us until we are rubbing shoulders with people who are not from our tribe, not from our language, not from our people, not from our nation. There is something about reconciliation. There is something about being in this blended family that exposes the hold that our idols actually have on us. We may not realize how much of a grip money has on us until we are in relationship with the poor. And in that relationship, reminded of God's word in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and if, it, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? We may not realize how much a hold our politics have on us until we are in relationships with our brothers and sisters who do not believe like we believe <laughs> and share our view of the world until we're reminded of the politics of heaven. He has shown you, O mortal what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, yeah. to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's the politics of heaven. That's, that's the politics that, that you and I are supposed to be living out as the people of God. That's the politics that will actually change the way we relate to one another in this world, the way we relate to one another in our cities and, and the villages and the towns of our world. In Revelation 7, John sees this new reality of believers from among all the nations who have learned to lay down their idols and worship the true and living God together in the here and now. And here's the song again. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want to suggest to you that this cry is the central message of our unity as believers. And learning how to live in light of that cry in the here and now is the task that is actually before us 
as the blended family of God. One of my, one of my heroes of the faith and of reconciliation in the family is Martin Luther King Jr. And he once wrote, we must rapidly shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motives, and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism and materialism and militarism are incapable of being conquered. The only way, brothers and sisters, for us to move past these idols into being the blended family of God is to keep the worship of God alone ever before us in our speaking and in our living as the people of God. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to replace the idol with the real thing. As Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell sang, there's nothing like the real thing. Baby, there's nothing like the real thing. And in Revelation, the real thing is the Lord. Being God's blended family, no longer worshiping the idol of money, but the Lord, for instance, would look like Acts 4. All the believers were, in one, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. I want you to stop for a second and think about that. What would it look like for the church to be so committed to one another, so committed across all the ethnic lines and the socioeconomic lines, what what would it look like if we actually gave up our resources so that it would be so that no one in the family of God was actually in need? From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What if our resources really belonged to God? to share with those who were in need. In such a situation, our poor black brothers and sisters, our poor white brothers and sisters, our poor Latino Asian brothers and sisters, and so on, would find a church ready to manifest the love of God through, through practical expressions of care. And together, we would find the budding of the reconciliation that God calls us to as his people. And so laying aside the idol of money would lead to an expression of the worship of God in which God was glorified for his care for the poor. It would lead to a present shout of that coming cry of unison, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. A new kind of worship in which we lay down our idols, in which we lay down the things that we worship for the worship of the Lord and his agenda in our relationships with one another. Amen, people of God. Amen. We need a new kind of worship. We also, we need, we need a new home. God's rescue, his salvation, which has brought us into this blended family from among all the nations, is a rescue that also rests in learning how to live in God's presence together. In God's new reality, all the suffering that was a part of the great trial of living in a broken and fallen world, all of it is taken away. In the new reality, hunger is gone. 
In the new reality, thirst is gone. In the new reality, homelessness is gone. By the way, this is what I think is meant by the sun no longer beating down on them. They are no longer devoid of shelter. They are no longer in a place where they are without shelter, where they were without home. God has pitched his tent over his people. That's the meaning of verse 15, where, where God shelters them with his presence. He has pitched his tent over them. And because God has pitched his tent over us, we will no longer be without a home. But not only this, also there will be a wiping away of tears. God himself in his mercy will take away what has caused his people hurt and pain and suffering. Don't miss it. This is something that will happen in its fullness when the new reality finally overcomes the old reality when Jesus returns. But make no mistake, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus from the grave, this new reality is already breaking in to the here and now. It is already at work in and among His people. Every time we provide food for a brother and sister who is hungry, we are testifying to this new reality of God. Every time we give a cup of cold water, we are testifying to this new reality of God. Every time we provide a home for the homeless, we are testifying to this new reality of God. Every time we comfort a brother or sister in grief through our words and our deeds, we are testifying to this new reality of God. Every time we lay down an idol to welcome a brother and sister who is not like us, we are testifying to this new reality of God. Every time we do justice, every time we do mercy, every time we walk humbly, we are testifying to this good news and this new reality of God, which is breaking into this world. And so when John writes back to these churches of what it will be like when we are finally in God's new home, he is saying to them, in essence, this is where it is headed, and you are already seeing demonstrations in your midst of where it is all headed. This is why God called Israel to a new type of fasting in Isaiah 58. It's not this the, the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? He wanted them to work now for what is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. In Isaiah 61, where he says, See? I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Ah, oh, people of God. What if we got a glimpse of where it was headed? The day when God will wipe away every tear from every eye. Wouldn't it make us act a little different <laughs> as we interact with one another in the here and now? God help us to have this kind of attitude. Some months back we were invited to the home of a woman who lives in an inner city neighborhood in St. Louis we were invited there because she wanted to become a member of our church. And she had not attended our church um, because of health concerns. She uses a wheelchair. And because of how her home is built, she could not get up and down the stairs without significant help. 
She wanted to become a member of the church, not because she had attended, but because a group of believers connected to our church had, in her own words, been an answer to her prayers. You see, before she met the folk from our church, she had prayed that God would send someone who could help her with repairs on her home. Her floor was crumbling in parts to the point where you could see into the basement of the home. The paint was peeling in places, and due to her condition, she was not able to use the bathroom without a ton of effort, but she prayed. She was a believer. She was a Christian. She prayed to God that he would come to her aid. We didn't know her, and she didn't know us, but God knew her, and he wanted, to be, wanted her to be a part of our family. In the ministry of our church called Workday, which does small repairs for widows and the poor in our city, met This woman then sent a group of workers to her home who repaired many of the things that were falling apart in her home and made her bathroom accessible to use. And in the time they were working, she built a relationship with some of the folk doing the work who were blessed by her and she by them, and she decided she wanted to be part of our church. Now, you might think I'm telling you a story about our church, but I'm not. I'm telling you a story about God. I'm telling you a story about God's commitment to hear the cries of his people in their distress and to answer them. God met this woman. He heard her cry for help. He relieved her suffering. And every time you and I respond to the hurts of members of God's family, we are participating with God and giving them a foretaste of what is coming to what it will be like to live in God's presence together forever. That's what we're called to do. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's That's what our worship is supposed to push us toward. It's no good if you're celebrating and jumping and hopping and flipping and shouting if after all of that you don't go and do what God tells you to do. If you don't go and love, if you don't go and share, if you don't go and and wipe away tears from people's eyes, if you don't go and give away your resources to help those in need, then what good is all of that worship? This is what God was saying to his people of old. What good is it for you to fast to me when you're not doing the things I've called you to do? Being God's blended family together means giving people a foretaste of what's coming in the new heavens and the new earth. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to work toward that day when the never agains of verse 16 will come to pass. One of the ways we can give expression to this in the church is by entering into others' pain with compassion and comfort. We are so quick to defend our positions on either side of whatever debate that we're having in our culture that we actually miss the opportunity to speak the goodness of God into the lives of those who are hurting. We have both police officers in our church and we have folk in our church who have been connected to folk uh, who've been involved in very difficult altercations with police officers. We have both. And can I tell you, On both sides, we see people who are hurting. What does it mean to be God's people? You know what it means? It means to enter into both sides with the comfort of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God that says God has come to wipe away your tears. God has come to heal your hurts. God has come to actually bring you together and teach you what it looks like to love one another in the kingdom of God. I wish we actually had a vision of where it was all headed. It might change the way we're having this conversation right now in our culture. We forget the basic human compassion that comes alongside people in their distress and says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. 
This is not the way God created the world. This is not what he intended it for. The gospel begins, listen to this, with incarnation. Entry into the brokenness of the world. That's what Jesus did. And if God incarnates for enemies, people who have rejected his love, how can we not follow him in this incarnational way of life? The God who will one day wipe away all our tears calls us to the same. And I want you to let Paul's words encourage you in this incarnational way of life. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let us be careful not to let our compassion grow cold. Not to be so concerned with winning arguments that we forget about people and the call to be God's kingdom witnesses to where a reality is coming when there will no longer be any suffering or pain or hurt or death. And the way you do this is you keep the picture of Revelation 7 in front of you, both as a reminder that all your pain and hurt will one day be taken away and of the call to bear witness to this in the way you comfort others in their pain and hurt. Ah, new city. God's new reality, it's already breaking in to the here and now. That new reality is already pushing against the old reality. And you and I, this blended family of God, men, women, and children from every nation, tribe, people, and language. We are meant to be in this world an expression of a new kind of worship where God is at the center and our idols are laid down, where Jesus is at the center and our idols are laid down. And we're called to be a foretaste of this new home where in God's presence we are giving testimony to the day when there will be no hunger, no thirst, no tears, no death. For in the presence of God, there is only joy. There is only life. There is only goodness. Amen, people of God. Amen. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Amen. As the worship team comes back up, I'm just going to pray for us. Oh God, we long for the day. We long for the day when these things will not just be something that we're working towards, not something that we're taking on by faith, but that it's actually in our presence, in your presence. We pray that you would help us be a people of the new city in this city. We pray that you would help us to be a people of the resurrection, a people that meet people in their pain because we know a day is coming when all things will be set right, when all things will be made new, and when there will be no more pain and no more tears. Oh Lord, give us faith today to live as those people now. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me now?